Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. How are we doing today? I want to welcome everybody to the Unimpressed podcast. I'm unimpressed that I haven't seen this guy in about five years. About five years, yep. Five years. So I want to welcome my buddy, my friend, Eric Neese to the Unimpressed podcast. Thank you. And I will refer to you as Johnny Bang Bang. Johnny Bang Bang. <laughs> My new nickname this weekend is Johnny Bang Bang. And uh, did Johnny Bang Bang come after Bang Productions or did it come before Bang Productions? Because I feel like we've been saying Johnny Bang Bang for a long time. Yeah. 2001, we had Bang Productions. Okay. So that's when Frisch and I came up with that. Yeah. Had to be yeah. after, you know, you created Bang yeah. Productions and we used to call you Johnny I think Johnny the first. Bang Bang. <laughs> I think the first thing I'd sent you was mm-hmm. the motocross stuff. Motocross. With, yeah, it was uh, a motor- Travis. Travis Pastrana. Right. So what's going on in your world this, in this day and time? Seriously? Yeah. What's, what's going, going on? on? I'm, I want, this is what I was thinking. What level? Of. What level? <laughs> well, let's start like this. Uh-huh. I was thinking today that you're the navigator for this bigger picture. The Nordic navigator. Viking. <laughs> yeah. The Viking <laughs> Nordic Navigator, and let me tell you why. Okay. You've always introduced me personally and to other people things that have always been ahead of their time. Mm-hmm. You introduced me to Dave Sandoval, right? Yep. And his food process is ahead of its time uh-huh. and is still ahead of its time. And, you know, and there's other things along the way. Uh, that you've you've talked about and that you do, and mm-hmm. now you've moved to a different journey. What you're doing now is way ahead of its time. My thought process after this weekend is if there's human beings doing this in the world today, why can't what you're doing be introduced to everybody else? Because we're all human beings. Well, that's kind of like what we're doing, isn't it? <laughs> it is. <laughs> that's so, why we're here, right? That's why we're here. I don't know where you want to start. Yeah. Well, I mean, the answer to respond to what you were saying, like, yeah, most of the things that I've done in my life have been ahead of its time. I mean, if you go back to the real world, it had never been done before. So for whatever divined reason and purpose, I was chosen to be one of those seven people in that loft to change the face of media forever. That would continue to play out in my life. You know, when I was a child, I used to carry little Curious George around with me everywhere I went. So I've always been curious. And even since when I can reflect and I go back into my childhood, even, you know, three and four years old, I was always looking at the big picture. You know, I was always looking at the world and looking at the stars and looking at the big ocean and the big mountains. It was always really big, 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 big for me. And what I think happened was because at a very, very young age, whether I developed that as a child or I brought that with me from past life experiences, which would come up much later on, you know, in my life to the present day now. You know, when I was a kid in school, I used to just sit, you know, with, I had my books with the paper bag around it. Mm -hmm. And all I would do is draw stars, stars, stars all day long. 
just stars. You know, my mind just naturally was like that, always looking for something that other people weren't doing, Mm -hmm. you know, always interested in exploring. So my life's been like that. As you know, we've known each other for 30 years. And I can remember the music. We were listening to EDM in 92 when you were doing the real world. Before that. Even before that. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. I mean, that was, nobody was listening to EDM and house music at the time. No. I mean, I didn't even hear it. And that all happened because at 18 years old or even younger than that, maybe 17, I don't know, well, 16 or 17, I was probably a freshman in high school was the first time that I went to a club in in New York City. And I experienced that. Mm -hmm. So I was like, wow, this is something that the people where I'm from didn't talk about. No one mm-hmm. was talking about it. And who did that start with? Did that start with Junior Vasquez and Madonna at Sound Factory? Where did that kind of well, originate? I think I think, Mad- I think Madonna brought it out to the public, uh-huh. but it was happening before that. I mean, it goes back to Chicago, you know, into the, the days of the church. Yeah. You know, they've been dancing and singing in the church forever. They just put a beat to it, mm-hmm. you know, and it just happened to be 118 beats per minute, you know. Mm-hmm. That's where house music originated from, from Chicago. Then it came to New York. Mm-hmm. And um, I just happened to get into it at a very young age. Did they have a European influence, you think, in Chicago brought it there? Because it's like when the Europeans got involved, they were kind of a little ahead of the curve. It changed the tempo. Is that when, what it was? Yeah. When the Europeans got involved, it changed the tempo. You know, spiritual house music, which came out of Chicago, was, you know, not your your typical you know, electronic dance music of today, which is more progressive where you got into like more of the techno type stuff that I feel came from Europe, Uh but New York house and Chicago house. If y'all don't know out there, me and Eric met through one of his good friends, best friend, your best friend, Danny Frisch was my roommate in college. I thought I was 19. I guess I was 20. Yeah. Because it happened right when the real world happened. So that was 92. Mm-hmm. I was 20 and I, and, and I turned 21 on the show. And it was that summer that I think I met you. Danny introduced me to you at Carowinds mm-hmm. and I was down there doing an appearance. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought you were like the original Backstreet Boy instead <laughs> of boys, the Backstreet Boys, because it was I can remember standing on a rail and there were probably 2000 girls pressed up against this rail and we're throwing out t-shirts. T-shirts. <laughs> yeah. What were the yellow t-shirts? What were they yellow? They had something. What was going on at that time? I have no idea, man. You had I don't know. Were they Carowinds shirts or MTV shirts, grind shirts? I, I think it was something it was. you had. You and Gary had something going on. Oh, no. Did it? Oh, that was. um With green. It was yellow shirts. Fresh. With green something. Uh, I can't remember it. That was a guy who I met in Arizona in, in Phoenix. Oh, okay. And uh, he created this t-shirt line and I was working with some hip hop artists out of Phoenix. We were trying to build a business. Uh Uh-huh. One of the businesses that we tried to build, (laughs) it didn't work. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I think we were just promoting that line. And if a lot of people don't know too, you started out being a model. Tell us how you got into modeling. I got into modeling because I dropped out of high school. My mom said, you need to get a job. If you're not going to play sports in college and you're not going to go to college, you got to do something. And so I was 18 years old and getting into trouble. And a good friend of ours that we grew up with got into the modeling industry, became one of the top five models in the world. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees, promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We keep a lot of emotions bundled up inside in life, and sometimes we got to talk to people. I witnessed the benefits with my own two eyes. I have a close friend that was struggling with depression and felt like she had no one she could consistently talk to because of her busy schedule. She was matched with a therapist through BetterHelp. After several months of sessions, I've seen a tremendous change in her personality and in her life. If you're needing therapy and, and want to get some of those things off your chest, it's entirely online and designed to conveniently work around your schedule and empower you to be the best version of yourself. Just fill out a questionnaire and they will align you with the right therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com unimpressed today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash unimpressed. And uh, he came to me and said, you know, you can make you can make a lot of money in this business and it's easy. You just got to get in shape and um, and I'll bring you into the agency. And so that's what I did. I, I uh, took some aerobic classes for like two months. I got shredded and went to Click Modeling Agency. And that day they took my photo of Polaroid. They sent it down to Bruce Weber. Following day, I was doing a test shoot with Bruce Weber, and like two weeks later, I was doing a, a shoot with him for a book that he was working on. And what was the name of that book? <laughs> <laughs> Bear Pond. <laughs> Very famous book. I mean, you got to mention it. Yeah, it's famous because everybody in the book is naked, including <laughs> <laughs> your brother, right? Including my brother. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that was when you could make money in modeling. I mean, oh, good yeah. money. Yeah, for sure. I mean, fashion was kind of at its heyday. I was making, well, my very first photo shoot. This is in 1990, maybe. Uh, I remember it well. It was for Neiman Marcus. And I was wearing a Denver Broncos uniform. And I got paid 150 bucks an hour. Mm -hmm. And I was shot for two hours and made 300 bucks. <laughs> so how, how long was that until you got the opportunity with MTV? Came pretty quick. It was about a year. About a year after that in modeling, uh, there was a casting that came through my modeling agency. They were looking for a guy who's modeling and looking to get into acting and commercials. And I went up on a casting with probably 30, 40 other guys. I mean, you know, you're a young guy. Did you really know what you're getting yourself into? I mean... You're 19, 20 years old. And because of the modeling and because of my buddy who was in the industry, I could get in into all the clubs in New York with all the biggest promoters, all the biggest DJs. So at that time, to get into a club in New York City was a big, big, big deal. And I was in those clubs with famous people. And, you know, and my pops was a ref in the NBA. So 
I was, I was around professional athletes since I was a child. So I already had a taste of that business. I had no interest at all in being in the entertainment industry, being a model, any of that. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what it's like to be an athlete. Mm-hmm. You're not thinking about being a model. I was thinking about playing college ball and maybe going to the pros. Yeah. Cause my whole family came, came from that. Yeah. It was athletics all over the place. You know, John went to my brother, went to U of A and was drafted in the sixth round to the Buffalo Bills as a punter. A lot of people don't know this, but my, my great uncle, my grandfather's brother was one of the, the best offensive linemen that has ever played professional football. Well, at that time. But he played with Vince Lombardi. Mm-hmm. Uh, was one of the seven blocks of granite. Played at Fordham. Athletics was everything. But when the modeling happened, and then I got casted for the real world. And right when the real world aired, literally the first episode, the first four episodes were mostly focused on me and what was going on in my life. And so I got a lot of attention from that. And MTV saw what was going on. And they called me pretty quickly to come and audition for The Grind. How many years did you do the grind? Well, the grind workout videos went five years, uh, but the grind itself as the host of the dance show was about three years. If you don't know, Jack Nice, your father. Yeah. Right. And and we'll talk about your brother as well. But Jack Nice, what was number 35 in the NBA? Yep. He's no longer in the league now. Mm-hmm. We retired a couple of years ago. More than a couple, probably 10. We're getting 10 old. Now. We're oh, getting wow. old. <laughs> wow. How old is your dad now? Oh, he's 80. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then your your brother, John, mm-hmm. they wanted to run him out of, bu- Jim Kelly wanted to run him out of Buffalo. Yeah. Right? Because he was taking all the females. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> My brother was a very attractive young man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just a little side note. I just thought we'd mention that because I mm-hmm. remember that. Yeah. Uh, and I can remember Frisch talking about, you know, yeah, like Eric's got, you know, Larry Bird kicks signed just in the back of his closet or Michael Jordan kicks <laughs> signed in the back of his closet. I yeah. said, Hey, I said, go get them so we can sell them. We need to, <laughs> we need some money to drink or something, you know? Yeah. Uh, I can remember him telling me that story. So you're in the middle of this real world situation, not knowing what it is today, being the very first reality show in the history of television. Mm-hmm. And now you're in the Television Hall of Fame. Yep. Correct. Yep. That's in Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking? Are you thinking long term? Are you in the moment? What is a young kid thinking at that time? I mean, they're pretty much in the moment, but it's like, are you mm-hmm. thinking when you're 30, when you're there at 20, 21? What are you thinking about? Very short term <laughs> in the moment, uh, having the time of my life, bringing my friends to everything that I was doing in clubs four nights a week because I'm a househead and I love to dance. Yeah. And I love that scene. There was money in my pocket. There were thousands of girls that I was getting a lot of attention from. There was a lot of drugs. Yeah. And a fire burning inside of me that I didn't understand where it came from. Yeah. And why it was there. And that fire got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I got more attention and more attention and more attention. And it was trying to fill a void inside of me, but it wasn't. It was destroying me. Mm -hmm. And although it looked pretty and successful and prosperous and abundant on the outside, what was going on on the inside was a whole nother story, which nobody knew about. 
I was, I did a very, very, very good job at masking it, which, you know, yeah, well, I could, I could play the game. Yeah. You know, well, some just, people know. <laughs> well, and I don't, at that time, television was kind of in its heyday in New York city. Yep. It was very much was all about MTV. <laughs> I mean, that's when, you know, what Brian was Brian Graydon run the, the network then when he had that 13 year run, when he changed the whole thing. I think that was, I don't know. He was after, after the real world. I, I believe he was, I think so. I don't remember who was the president of MTV at that time. But if you think about, there's a couple stories like the juice you had in the city and what oh, you're able man. to do in New York City, the, the mecca of the world. Yeah. The belly of the beast. They called me the Prince of New York. Yeah. I could walk into a club with 20 guys. Yeah. Which you've experienced. Yeah. <laughs> which is yeah. unheard of. Yeah. And they, uh, they rolled out the red carpet. I mean, I got a story. I can share it now. But okay. this was in uh, 93, 94, something like that. I had that black Benz and we were going out and I was driving down the parkway in the turnpike going really fast. You Normally, it takes an hour to get to the city. I think we got to the city in about a half an hour. We got beers in the car, probably got some other stuff in the car with us. We're going to party. And uh, I get through the Holland Tunnel and there's 15 cop cars waiting there. And they pull us over. They take us out of the car, put us on the sidewalk. They see open beers in the car. And I'm like, oh, man, we're done. Like, this is not good. And I'm looking at all these cops over here. And one of the cops is like, he's looking at me. And he's like, and I see his lips move. He's like, that's Eric Nice from the grind. And he comes walking over and he's like, you're Eric, aren't you? And I said, yeah. And he goes, what the hell is going on here? I was like, oh man, I'm late for an appearance at the Palladium and I'm just trying to get there. You know, I gig. He goes, hold on a second. He goes to walk over, talks to his superior, comes back. He goes, don't worry about it, brother. We'll give you an escort. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I should have been in jail. Yeah. You know, but because of that fame, you know, um, but I was the guy who I'd be in Washington Square Park and cops would recognize me and I would engage with them. And then I would give them tickets to New Year's at the Palladium. You know, I was, I was a very giving, as you know. Yeah. Um, I never turned anybody away. I signed every autograph, met everybody with a smile, you know, so the owners of the clubs and the restaurants and all that stuff, you know, we were good. We were fun, you know, and we were respectful, you know, to a certain extent, (laughs) but they appreciated that. And, and, you know, it, it, it went a long way. Even as far as, you know, my, my buddies up in the Bronx, my Albanian friends who, you know, I gave them shout outs on the grind one time to a couple of these Albanians that were in Rikers Island. Yeah. And one, uh, one Albanian, his name's Beckham. He became one of my best friends. And when I gave those guys a shout out, I had backup for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I would walk into clubs and restaurants for the rest of my life. And Albanians would come up to me and go, Hey, Eric, just want to let you know. We're right over here. If there's anything that you need, just let us know. It's all good. But when you think about that, what media at the time was able to do for a human being and a personality. Yeah. Incredible. You know, I mean, it was almost like they give you the keys to the city. They put you on this pedestal. You can do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Right. But the thing is, 
They don't really teach you how to handle it. A hundred percent. There is no artist development or guidance yeah. or support. You're on your own. I learned that the hard way. I mean, I think with everybody, but you realize you're just a number in their equation. Yeah. You're, you're, you're not a central nervous system and a heart and emotions and feelings and all that. You know, they're, they're, they're working towards a line. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get to that line and you're a part of that equation and they're using you to get to that mark. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was the thing. I didn't I didn't have any guidance then at all. Because when you're in that position, you think that, you know, you're the be all end all. Mm-hmm. And then the people who are on the other end, they're like, we got some man line. If something happens, just another guppy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of people don't realize that, you know, it's just. No. Depends on what you want to consume in your life. And mm-hmm. we've been fortunate enough to kind of be look behind the curtain on a lot of things. Right. You know, and I think that's a big deal. Maybe that's something executives should look at. Yeah. You know, maybe there's some development there. Well, there's some some good news on the side on the other side of that, because with this real world homecoming that I just did, mm-hmm. the executives were actually pretty involved and we would do roundtable discussions mm-hmm. with, you know, people from the network. Um, and they were kind of coaching us on social media and, you know, how to handle social media. Uh, we talked about, you know, standards and practices, the ethical side of the network and how they would like to be presented in the world and kind of preparing us because back in 92, there was no social media. There was no Instagram or mm-hmm. Facebook or anything. So I never had anybody, you know, personally DMing me about how they feel about what they saw because of something that I said. Mm-hmm. But now I'm experiencing that today and it's a whole different ballgame. I mean, mm-hmm. the messages and that I get now, I mean, I've been, I cry from some of the messages that I get from people mm-hmm. because they are, you know, for whatever reason, which we're going to get into now, but you know, they know the line of work that I'm in. They know the things that I talk about now and what I personally went through and it's inspiring to people. Mm-hmm that they can communicate with somebody and listen to somebody else's story and maybe get a couple of you know, tidbits of information that they can um, apply to their life so that they can find some more, you know, peace within themselves. And I want to talk about one other little piece of story that was in your life. I don't think a lot of people know this, the Calvin Klein era, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of started that trend with the jeans, mm-hmm. right? You had Marky Mark show up. Mm-hmm. You and Marky Mark were buddies. Yeah. How long did you and Marky Mark hang out? Uh, we were, we were, we, we used to hang a lot because, um, we had the same manager and that's how I met him. Um, this guy named Dick Scott, who was, uh, the manager for new kids on the block and boys to men. And he also managed Mark's career for a little while. So I had a short little stint of hanging out, uh, with, with him. Um, but there's an interesting story about him. We, like we got along, you know, we saw eye to eye in a lot of things and we were good friends. And then, um, you know, one day, I was in LA working on like a commercial or something like that. And I saw him in a club and you know how I am. I walked right up to him. I grabbed his hat, shook his hat and I was like, yo, what's up? You know? And he, his response to me was like all tough and yo, man, you don't shake somebody's bill. Yeah. And I, I looked at him. I was like, huh? Yeah. And I said, oh, okay. And I never talked to him ever again. And you know, that's how I am. If you're yeah. going to come like that, because if you ain't like one of the boys where we put it all on the table yeah. and we're completely vulnerable and transparent with each other and yeah. there's no judgment, yeah, that's the environment 
And that's the type of people that I want to be around. Yeah. And as soon as that happened, I was like, oh, okay. I, I got a, I had a bad taste in my mouth from the entertainment industry and the people that I hung out with in Hollywood. Uh-huh. Because they were drinking the Kool-Aid. That's right. You know, and I think when they they drink the Kool-Aid and when you have all this power behind you mm-hmm. and they tell a young guy that, hey, you've got this, you can do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. I mean, it almost feels like you're just, there's no barriers or anything around you. Yeah, that ego takes control. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. you think you, have you run into Mark at all in the past? I haven't. So, yeah. But I'm sure it would be different. I mean, we're both 50 years old now. I'm sure I think he's 50. We're around the same age. Yeah. I would hope it'd be different. And I, and I see the things that he does off off screen and stuff like that. And the stuff that he does with some of his, you know, his crew, you know, and that whole little entourage, you know, that he has. But, you know, we both were, you know, came cut kind of from the same cloth in a way. Yeah. He was yeah. from ball. He was kind of the Boston thing at the time. Mm hmm. Right. And you were the New York thing and you were actually bigger than him. Way bigger. At that time? Yes. Wow. Okay. I would think. (laughs) Right. I don't know about that. I mean, you had 90 million viewers on that show. Who else had a show during that time that had 90 million viewers? That's a big number. My boy, Jeremy Jackson from Baywatch. (laughs) What's up, JJ? (laughs) That's my brother. Yeah. Yeah, No, Baywatch was like 100 million and we were 90 million around the world. I mean, that's how they, because I say that because, you know, we're talking about determining human behavior on social media and things like that. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how they rate things today. Yeah. You know, is by eyeballs. Right. You know, because being famous is eyeballs. Yeah. That number was pretty big. Yeah. That's a huge number. Mm -hmm. So you had these personal issues that were going on in your life. Mm -hmm. Right. Your mom and dad were uh, divorced, right? They separated when I was 11. When you were 11. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you had a split family, had a, had a brother, had a sister. Two sisters. Two sisters, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I think you were always the type of person that didn't slow down for anything. You're always like hopping. If this didn't work, I'm going here. You know, like uh, you didn't you do something like with some monks or something one time too? Some monks or something. You walked around New York. That was, that was some segue. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I've been to the, to the Himalayas. Uh, I spent a month there with over 2000 monks chanting for world peace. In saying that, when I say you would hop, but what I noticed when you homed in on something. Yeah. You were all in. You didn't, you didn't see your feet anymore. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? You're all in. Your body's gone. You're completely in whatever you're doing at that time. Yes, a hundred percent. There's something to be said about that of these things that you've been ahead of the time with because mm-hmm. it's like people may not understand it, but that the fact you're pressing it as far as you can go to get an answer mm-hmm. is a big deal. You, you know what I'm saying? I think that's I a do. big deal. Probably in 30, 40 years, 50 years, they might look at you and be like, this guy was doing this before everybody else. Mm-hmm. Where were you at when you left left MTV? And you you know we talked about the Jenny McCarthy story. Yep, you were filming like the last time you did the grind, and, and that was the last time you filmed, and you left and never came back. Right. So, what happened from that point of leaving, and then the next several years? Yeah. So a, a manager came into my life um, in my third year of the grind, 
who uh, was working with this group called CNC Music Factory. His name was Gary Henry, sometimes went by the name of Gariano Lorenzo. And he courted me for a few months trying to, you know, become my manager. I met him through Dick Scott, which is where I met Mark. Long story short, because there's too much detail, Mm -hmm. uh, I agreed for this guy to be my manager. He took um, power of attorney over everything. Power of attorney, right? I haven't heard, even with the people I deal with, you know, my, my, some of my comedians and so forth. I don't think I've ever heard that term power of attorney in a manager, you know, client relationship. I basically gave him the right to walk into a bank and do my banking. Yeah. So <laughs> that means yeah. you basically got the power yeah. of attorney to and do where whatever did that you ide- want. Where did that ideology come from? I was 20, I was 20 years old, bro. I didn't, I didn't never heard that before. This was all the stuff that he brought to me. Yeah. And how this all happened with him is one day I was in a hotel room with two of my buddies with him and he like passed out on the bed and we didn't know what the hell was wrong with him. And he was out for like 10, 15 minutes. And we're like, what should we do? Should we call the police? Should we get an ambulance? You know, blah, blah, blah. And when we were about to make a decision that we were going to call an ambulance, he woke up. And then miraculously, he was okay to just drive home. But this guy over the next seven months would brainwash me, manipulate me and control me and take advantage of me. And he would, it was like, he knew things. He had access to information about me, about my soul, about my heart. So it was almost like he studied me. He knew what to say, how to say it, but he was relentless in his efforts mm-hmm. and it was brainwashing me. Mm-hmm. Um, through him would be the very first time that I would hear words like the Illuminati and the New World Order and all this dark, satanic type stuff that some people get into and they talk about. But I first, read about all that. I was in a library for three months in New York studying the bloodlines (laughs) that run the planet, the banking system, you know, these secret societies that people call, you know, um, conspiracy theories, but Mm. now it's all over the internet. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like common talk around most people. Yeah. And so, you know, this guy put all this into my head, but what I didn't realize after he manipulated me and was telling me that he had a health condition that he was actually trying to physically and sexually, you know, get to me. Mm -hmm. And through that brainwashing, he molested me. Mm -hmm. And it was the most confusing, complex thing that I've ever experienced in my life. But because it triggered, it triggered me so much was because When I was 12 years old, I lost my virginity to a woman who raped me. Mm -hmm. And so I've had experiences, not in this lifetime, but also past lives with sexual abuse. And so I carried the suppressed emotion around me and the frequency and the vibration of those experiences from past lives into this life. So I attracted these things in my life to remind me of what I needed to heal from my past lives. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't understand all of that until much, much later in my life when I started to get into plant medicine with ayahuasca and Vipassana meditation and other types of plant medicines that I would work with. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so that happened. My career crashed and burned. I lost my relationship with MTV. I had a talk show with Universal Studios getting ready to go with a guy by the name of Ron Perth, who's responsible for bringing the late, late night David Letterman's show over to CBS. Um, was talking to Joel Schumacher about being Robin in the Batman movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had every big studio all over me at that time in my life. And it all crashed and burned. The guy stole like 300 grand from me, my car, my apartment, everything. And I found myself at the edge of the Hudson River with a knife on my wrist, contemplating suicide because I felt like I had no way out. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's a lot more details to the story, but that was the first moment that I had in my life with spirit because I was getting ready to take my life and this little small cloud came down the river and it caught my eye and it took away my attention to what I was doing here. And I heard this little small voice in my head say, just go home, just mm-hmm. go home. And so that's what I did. I went home, which is actually, this is really, this kind of cool part of the story because I was broken for about two months, no, two weeks. Nobody could talk to me. I was just crying every day, every day, every day. Uh, I did a Reiki session. It was my first time I ever did Reiki. Had an experience with Mother Mary in the Reiki session. Decided that I needed to go to the mountains. So I went snowboarding by myself to Colorado to Vail for a month. And while I was there, I get a phone call from my sister who was um, assisting me with you know managing my career at the time. Mm-hmm. And she goes, you, you just got a check from your residuals from your workout videos. She want me to open it. And I said, yeah, sure. So she opens it up and it's a check for $110,000. And she's like, wow, you must be selling a lot of videos overseas because you just got a check for $110,000. Now, you know, back in the day in 1992, a $110,000 check for a workout video yeah. is like $3 million today. Yeah. You know, well, how, I wonder how much MTV made. <laughs> they were making a lot of money. <laughs> I was making, you know, pennies. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. And, and so I was like, that must be a mistake. And she said, I don't know. Let me call. MTV made a mistake. They oh. put an extra zero on my check. Should have cashed it. I did. Yeah. They couldn't take it back legally Yeah. yeah. because they mailed it and it went through the mail. They're yeah. legally not allowed to take it back. Yeah. So I had $110,000 that revived me, brought me back yeah. to be able to like, oh, okay, I'm going to stay in the business. And that's when I came back and I got the loft in New York and we had the recording studio and started E-Nice Entertainment and the house music production company and all that stuff. You're touching back on Gary. Yeah. When that situation happened, the molestation or whatever mm-hmm. it was, mm-hmm. was there alcohol involved? Was there drugs no, involved? but I was using drugs at that time a lot. I was able to turn the drugs on and off in my life. Like like you said earlier, when I, when I go in, I'm in. So if I have to do a shoot or a workout video or whatever it is, I would disconnect from the people who I would do drugs with and I'd go train. Mm -hmm. And so exercising training for me and being healthy um, was an excuse for me to walk away from the drugs. But when I would use drugs, as you know, you know, I was the guy that was up for two days. Mm-hmm. Everybody else would go to sleep three, four in the morning and I'm the party's just getting started for me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that would take me to the edge of overdosing a number of times, you know? So what was the, 
when did that, you know, after that happen? And the only reason mm-hmm. I'm saying this is like, I think this could, you know, help a lot of people. When did that mm-hmm. really, how, when did that really set in? You know what I'm saying? Like when you're just like, what the fuck is going on? Oh, that didn't settle in for a while until I met Grandmaster. Okay. And Grandmaster was my first teacher. Okay. So Grandmaster was an eighth generation uh, Vietnamese martial arts Grandmaster of three different martial arts, 21 Den Black Belt, um, Grandmaster of Chinese medicine and acupuncture, uh, Master of the I Ching and um, Feng Shui and Qigong. This guy was, I don't know if there's anybody that's ever walked the planet like him. And how'd you find him? Uh, through John, through my brother. Okay. And my brother met him four years before me because his girlfriend found him. Mm-hmm. She had some issues with her ovaries and heard about him and went to go see him and brought my brother. So for four years, my brother talked while I was famous with the real world and the grind. My brother would talk about this master, master, master. But at that time, I couldn't hear that. And so um, one night at a party, Jack's party in Hollywood yeah. Hills. Uh-huh. was an all-nighter bender and went into the next day and I was really, really at rock bottom. I knew I needed help. Yeah. You know? And uh, my brother showed up. I hadn't talked to my brother in a little while and he just, so how, he was taking my friend Jack and my friend Sal to go see the Grandmaster so the Grandmaster could help them. And when I heard that, I said, I'm coming. And so the next day I got on a plane and I went to meet the Grandmaster. And then you dive in with him. When I met the Grandmaster, he does what's called a vibrational reading where he can touch your body and read the records of your soul Mm -hmm. called the Akashic Records. When he touched my body, he said to me, your blood is like mud. And if you continue on the path that you're on, you're going to develop a blood clot within 10 years and you're going to die. And, you know, he put the fear of God in me. He would, he was doing things and showing us things. I couldn't believe I was in awe of what was going on. His house had 10,000 artifacts, you know, from the far East and there Buddhas everywhere, herbs and ginseng and hundreds bottles of ginseng and herbs everywhere and big pots and cauldrons and the whole training center. It was like the karate kid on steroids. And so he told me that about my blood. And then we did, we stayed there for four days. And on the fourth day, he, uh, his wife came out and said, the grand master is inviting you to ask him four questions, whatever four questions. And she goes, this is rare. He's never done this. Mm -hmm. And I asked him if he could help me to heal, if he could make me as powerful as I could be and train me. And then my last question was like, you know, how did they build the pyramids? Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, he, I left his house with a box of herbs that he sent me home with to do for three months to detox my body. And he said, if you want me to train you and you're serious, just show up. You don't have to call, just come back and show up. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. Three months later, I got back on a plane and I went back to his house. I showed up and that started my training with him. So you have, this was what in Vietnam? No, this is at? in Los Gatos, California. He was He's Los- from Vietnam. Oh, okay. Yeah. But he was in Los- in California, Los Gatos. But he, mm-hmm. at some time during your relationship with him, he went back to Vietnam? 
I used to travel to Vietnam with him. Yeah. Oh, okay. Y'all just went together. Mm-hmm. And what what was the reasoning behind that? Of y'all going to Vietnam together? Just for, you know, for him to introduce me to his country and his people and, you know, see the ways that they live over there and kind of getting me ready really for, you know, what I'm doing now in my life and what's to come. My, my experiences with Grandmaster was, you know, learning discipline, uh, studying meditation, uh, strengthening my chi and, uh, really, uh, creating a foundation, a stable foundation within myself to be able to handle what would come later in my life, mm-hmm. mentally strong mm-hmm. to be able to handle what would come later on, because that was really the beginning of a very intense spiritual journey, transformation, healing, but also an awakening uh, of my soul. Yeah. Over the next 25 years. So, so you had the trainer. He says, I can see that I can mentally see the thought process. You had the trainer and he tells you that your, your blood is mud. So obviously that ignited something for your nutrition. Yep. Right. So mm-hmm. then when did this whole nutritional thing start? And then it was your thought process of cleaning your blood up. Actually, the way that the nutritional thing started is actually before the Grandmaster. Okay. And um, I was training one day at Gold's Gym in Venice, and my arm blew up like a balloon. Mm-hmm. And I showed it to my brother, and we were kind of shocked. And so we went to go see a doctor friend of his. And they ran some tests, and they showed that this, the, this vein, that comes up through here mm-hmm. goes up and in between your clavicle and your first, your pectoral muscle. And my pectoral muscle was pushing down on the vein. So the blood was not flowing out of my arm. Mm-hmm. And they went in with a catheter and they tried to push the muscle back um, to relieve the pressure on the vein, but it didn't work and it destroyed my vein. So the doctor said to me that I could, ne- that, we could put you on blood thinners or don't exercise because if you cut yourself, no more sports. <laughs> so if you cut yourself and you're on blood thinners, you could bleed to death, you know? So I was like, all right, I need another, another option here. Mm-hmm. So John and I researched how to naturally thin the blood in the body. And one of the best ways to thin your blood in your body is with dark cherries. Okay. And so I started supplementing uh, concentrated dark cherry juice. And obviously I was working out and continued to exercise for the rest of my life and was able to, to move through that. And that got me interested in nutrition and superfoods and wheatgrass and juicing and just eating healthy. It was a really, it was about, okay, the injury, my blood is mud because of all these drugs that I've been doing. And I'm a toxic cesspool and you need to detox. Yeah. <laughs> you need to clean your blood. So I went all in, like you said earlier, a hundred percent. And mm-hmm. I started reading and researching and studying and basically used my own body as a guinea pig to understand how nutrition or and food you know, affects the physical body. You know, when you had the training and you had the foods, right? Mm-hmm. How did you think you were going to survive? 
monetarily? You left the entertainment business. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't completely leave because when I met Grandmaster, that's when that $110,000 check came in and I started my own entertainment business. And then John and I, we created the apparatus Mm -hmm. and we said, and I, I was obviously turned off by what was happening in the entertainment industry because I went down the rabbit hole of understanding why media even exists. Mm hmm. Just like I did with the banking system and all of that information that that guy was sharing with me. You know, this guy was sharing information with me, but he took advantage of me and used me. And that lit a fire inside of me. Mm-hmm. I wanted to understand, well, why did this guy do this to me? Why did this happen to me? I, I did this show. Everything is amazing. I'm making all this money and now it's all taken away from me. Mm-hmm. So, you know me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to think about that deeply. And then when I met grandmaster, grandmaster would shine light on why I'm here Mm -hmm. on this planet, why that happened to me with the real world and what my next 30 years of my life would be like. Mm -hmm. He would, he would foresee my future and he started training me and preparing me for what was to come. And I said, Take it. Take a minute. How are we? How are we doing? We're doing good. I'm trying to. Trying to. I'm trying to kind of twist twist the story more, a little different than what it's been. When yep. what I've heard, how you say it. Mm-hmm. So the trainer, the food, and we can edit this. However, the trainer, the food. So you kind of started your own little entertainment business. You're going all in in this situation because because a lot of times, and the reason. I want to just point out one little thing and I, cause I've been there myself mm-hmm. where I've made money in the entertainment business. And a lot of times when you're young, you make these irrational decisions. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And you still, you may go a different direction, but you still think that money's going to be there. Yeah. That's what I thought. <laughs> People would say to me, man, you're spending a lot of money on this. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, but it's just going to keep coming. And, you know, yeah. and they're like, well, why don't you do acting? I was like, nah, I don't really want to act. Maybe I'll do acting when I'm 30. You know yeah. what I mean? It was yeah. always, I was gonna, like putting stuff off because I didn't think the train was going to stop moving. Yeah. Yeah. You don't think that. Yeah. 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 So I think that's a big message to anybody who wants to be in entertainment today. You know, try to decipher your path mm-hmm. the way you need to, but mm-hmm. don't think that money's always going to be there. That's right. <laughs> Focus your energy on what you want to manifest in your life. Yeah. And imagine it, dream it, eat it, sleep it. Like, yeah, I get that now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but back then I definitely didn't understand yeah. that. That's a big deal because I mm-hmm. think a lot of people look at you or look at some of these big names, these big brands mm-hmm. and they think, ah, oh, he's rich. Yeah. And then it, sometimes that ain't the case. No, I've been, I've had zero money. Yeah. I I've, mean, I've, I've, I've made a lot of money and lost it all at least three times. But in a way we talked about this last night, I've never worried about it either, really. I mean, I've been the same person broke or been the same and the same person with money. Yeah. So I think that's somewhat of a divine intervention thing, you know? Well, I think, you know, the the deeper meaning to that is, is that, you know, who are you here? Yeah. Not up here. Yeah. Where are you coming from 
from here? How are you showing up in your life and in your family and with your friends and in the world with your heart? Mm -hmm. Because most people show up with what they think they should be Mm -hmm. or what they think the world thinks that they should be. There's so much programming going on all around us, especially through media, you know? So, and I experienced that head on. People don't really understand how we're being imprinted feeding with, the beast with programmed behavior patterns constantly yeah by it's, our surroundings and i and i think i talk about other talents creators whatever you want to call them in today's time there's a lot of talents out there in today's time who have massive followings mm-hmm. but the only stuff they're putting out there is feeding the beast yeah you, you know what i'm saying so mm-hmm. In leading to your journey, right? Leading leading up to your journey, but feeding that beast with the, you know, if a person's got 25 million fans, whatever it is, they're they're really putting out stuff that's really not teaching anybody anything. Yeah. You know, and there's a culture to some extent there that people need to, you know, I think they need to get wake up on the other side of the bed. Mm-hmm. And really think about that because really that's just feeding something that really does gives no value to society. Yeah. It you doesn't know? give value to yourself. Well, well yeah. <laughs> well, that's the, it's, it's a, you're betraying, you're literally betraying yourself. Yeah. So are you going to, you know, for all y'all talents and big names out there that have a huge, huge following, are mm-hmm. y'all going to continue down that path right. or are you going to make a change? Because if you continue down that path, and you have all these millions of people to, that you have influence over mm-hmm. and you're only feeding them trash. Right. Right. Guess what? When you pass away and you're gone off this there's earth. There's legacy. There's no legacy. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Well, yeah. yeah there is yeah. no legacy, but there's that's no, what you're leaving behind. Yeah. Your yeah. legacy is BS. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not a good legacy. That's right. That's right. That's why I walked away from the business. Yeah. When I did walk away, finally, was because I started uh, developing content that was true to my heart yeah, that I wanted to put out into the world. And that was when I was way ahead of my time again, yeah, because I made all the rounds and all the networks and I walked into all of these networks and I put a bottle of ayahuasca on the table. Yeah. And most of them were in complete and utter shock. <laughs> yeah. Some of them didn't even know what that was. Yeah. And so I started explaining to them what it was and what we want to do. And it was like, you know, their brains couldn't even process it. Now it was just another thing. I was just way, way ahead of my time. Now the fact Eric just said ayahuasca, right? Is it ayahuasca? Ayahuasca. 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 All y'all listening to this, don't think it's crazy. Don't think anything weird about it, right? This is a guy who's trying to introduce this to people who don't have access to it. Correct. Right. There are people doing this on a daily basis who are healing themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. Making their lives better. Right. Yep. It's just not in this part of the world. Yeah. You know, in Brazil, they actually serve it to inmates in jail. Wow. In, in Peru, it's legal. When you yeah. go to Peru and you walk around Peru, like we have statues of Jesus here, they have statues of ayahuasca <laughs> yeah. and shamans. And that's where people go to heal. They go to a teacher 
which shaman translate to teacher mm-hmm. or maestro or maestra, whether it's a man or a woman who have been practicing for many, 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 many years with these medicines. They actually are born into families that come from lineages. The ayahuasca goes back 5,000 years. There's relics from the Inca mm-hmm. where, you know, they, they, you know about ayahuasca and the, the tribe that I work with is the Shipibo people mm-hmm. in, in Peru. And the lineage of ayahuasca was passed from the Inca to the Shipibo. Mm-hmm. And so, Yeah. Ayahuasca came into my life about uh, 10 years ago when I was not in a good way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the short end of this is, is that I was carrying around with me a ton of suppressed emotion that I was holding in my body from the traumas in my life. And those suppressed emotions were causing me to feel uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. whether it's anxiety or depression, or creating low self-esteem, creating insecurities, creating judgment, creating fear, creating doubt, holding on to shame, holding on to guilt, you name it. Anything in the fear category, I was holding in my body in the way of suppressed emotions that came from the traumas in my life and in my past lives. Mm -hmm. And it almost brought me to death. And you and I have a very, very close friend Mm -hmm. who we love dearly. And I think it's important that I say this. Our friend went through some trauma in his life. And one night we were in New York together because we shared a birthday. Mm -hmm. Not the same day, but we're both Geminis. So we would celebrate our birthdays together. Mm Mm-hmm. This night in New York, him and I left the party. We went back up to the, to the room, to our apartment and we're sitting there and we're having a conversation and it was starting to become a deep conversation. And he said to me, you know, E, there's just some things you don't talk about. Mm -hmm. And I said, what are you talking about? I'm your best friend. We, we know everything about each other. You could tell me anything. And he's like, no. There's just some things you don't talk about that stayed with me. Yeah. That stayed with me. And then our friend found himself living on the street and, and my brother and I found out that he was living on the street. We went to where we heard he was. It took us three days to find him. And we finally found him. We put him into, um, into a hospital to detox And the plan was, was that I was going to take him to the desert to guide him through my program. My program is called the beauty way. Mm -hmm. I created it 15 years ago and I would take drug addicts still to this today into the desert for three to four weeks, disconnect them from society, detox and heal and clean their body from what I learned from grandmaster and then facilitate them through the native American medicine wheel to connect them back to nature to Mm -hmm. connect them back to the air and the fire and the water and the earth that you are made up of. Mm -hmm. That's what we're made up of. That's why nature helps to heal people because you're going back to yourself, to what you are. Yeah. So I brought him out there and my brother said to me before we were leaving, he said, so what do you think? 
I said, you know what, Johnny? I just keep hearing him say, there's just some things you don't talk about. There's just some things you don't talk about. And I said to my brother, there's going to come a time when we're out there doing this work, he's going to have to talk. Mm -hmm. And if he doesn't talk, it ain't going to happen. And sure enough, three weeks into it, we're sitting around outside and he starts talking and I could feel it. I knew it was coming. His eyes started to well up. His lips started shaking and I'm going, oh my God, this is the moment. And I'm, I'm going, please God, please God, let him say it. Help him to say whatever it is mm-hmm. that he's afraid to say. Mm-hmm. And he was just about to say it and he got up and he walked away. In that moment, his eyes shifted. His whole personality changed. It was like a spirit took over his body because he was scared to be vulnerable, Mm -hmm. to be transparent and speak the truth about what had happened to him. This was a valuable, valuable lesson for me that I would understand. He assisted me in helping me to attain more knowledge for how to help other people. Mm -hmm. And, and so those suppressed emotions that I'm talking about that build inside of you, if you don't shine light on them, if you don't give them the attention that they're screaming for and unconditionally love those emotions that come from those traumas in your life, from that little boy or that little girl that went through that experience, you betray yourself. You're neglecting yourself. You're abandoning yourself. So the way to break free from anxiety, the way to break free from depression, the way to break free from potentially killing yourself is tell your story. Mm -hmm. You have to share your feelings and your emotions with people. The problem with most people is, is that they don't have somebody in their life that they feel that they can trust No, because the trust was broken when they were a child from the abuser. And in most cases, when, as you know, with the people that you have in your life, Mm -hmm. these people have been abused when they're children. So they don't trust their mom. They don't trust their dad. These are the two people in your life that you're supposed to trust the most. Yeah. (laughs) Once you break trust with mom and dad, you only trust in nobody. It's going to take a long time for you to be able to get to that place where you can trust somebody else again. Yeah. I've become, a lot of times I've become that, uh, that guy, you know, what I do doesn't really bother them, but mm-hmm. I'm the guy they take it out on. Well, yeah, they got to take it out on somebody yeah. because if they don't forget about taking it out on somebody, if they don't get it out, yeah, what happens? This is what happened with our friend. Yeah. He held on to it. And you know how he passed. Yeah. And drank, he drank himself to death. Well, he wrote in his journal. He yeah. wrote in his journal. He felt like he was going to explode. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened. Well, he he always had like a a no holds barred approach to partying. <laughs> we all did. Yeah, but <laughs> fresh, fresh. Kind of, we all did. But fresh. You knew there were some issues there. A hundred percent. Well, that's why we all attracted each other because we were all, we all had that kind of similar vibration and frequency from how we grew up. 
not exactly the same, but our conditions were very similar. Yeah. That's why this, our whole crew, if you look at, at our crew, my crew that I grew up with in New Jersey, yeah, we all come from a very, very similar background. So we all found each other to use drugs and drink and go to the city and dance so we could escape from those emotions that were potentially going to kill all of us. Yeah. And we've lost a number of our friends from that. Yeah. Some of them have come out on the other side, but ayahuasca and these plant medicines of the earth that these indigenous people have been using for thousands of years, open up a bridge to your subconscious mind and to the spirit world so that what they do is you ingest it and then it, it brings those suppressed emotions and those traumas to the surface so that you can observe them and feel that experience again mm -hmm. and then have an understanding of why this happened and let it go. Mm -hmm. And the key here in shamanism, we call this a recapitulation. Recapitulation basically means that you look back into your life, find a trauma, feel what you were feeling in that moment mm -hmm. when, when, if you were eight years old and then you consciously change the feeling you imagine create in your mind another feeling. Mm -hmm. And the way that you can do that is you have to find the empathy and the compassion within yourself to forgive the person that hurt you. Here's the key. That person who is treating you that way. I I've been, I've worked with hundreds of people for the last 15 years. 100% of the time, whoever abused that person that I'm assisting in their healing, whoever abused them was also abused. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And almost in the same exact way. Yeah. That's the imprinted program. We call this ancestral lineage programming. Yeah. So you get imprinted with the behavioral program of your mother or your father or your grandmother, your grandfather, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, whoever molested you, whoever raped you, whoever took advantage of you, whoever abandoned you and neglected you. They're just passing down the program. Mm -hmm. This is what I would understand over 10 years of working with ayahuasca, going through the dark night of the soul. The dark night of the soul is when all of your suppressed emotions from the traumas in your life, they come to the surface at the same time. I went through this for five years. The first two and a half years, I was in fetal position on the ground, basically crying, confused, lost, scared, couldn't go out into public, super uncomfortable being social with people. Mm -hmm. I just, I couldn't do it, but I had to feel all this stuff. I had to process it. And then we can get into all other stuff with spirits and how people get, you know, spirits attach themselves to people. We see, we see this all the time in ceremony. The shamans in the ceremonies are battling spirits and demons in the room that are coming out of people mm -hmm. from the traumas in their life. Mm -hmm. That's where the purging comes in, where people throw up or they have diarrhea or their bodies shake or they sweat because you have to release this energy from your body. That's why people feel uncomfortable in their bodies. Well, and whoever's out here, whoever's listening to this podcast, I just want to 
I just want to back you down just a little bit, right? Even though what Eric's talking about isn't is something you haven't heard before, mm-hmm. right? Don't be too quick to judge. Try to be open, you know. <laughs> uh, and if there's any of these things in your life that's related, you know, very relatable to you, mm-hmm. do your research, dig deep, right? And, and look at this information and know what it is before you make a judgment. Yeah. And I think, I think that's somewhat of a way to, to, you know, really, really dig deep and tell this story more to really get people to open up to it. Because if you've, if any of these issues you've had is relatable to you and what you're doing now is not helping that, maybe this is the route. I've, and I've tried it. And you know that since I was a young, since I was a little boy, they, I, I sat with psychologists, psychiatrists. I went to learning centers. I hated it. That was the, that was the the worst time of my life being 10 years old, going to some learning center because they thought that I had some kind of, you know, uh, development issue. They were about to put me on Ritalin and a bunch of drugs. Thank God my mom said no. Um, but you know, the drugs that I was using at that time, I was actually using them to assist me in managing and coping with those emotions because mm-hmm. they're so uncomfortable. And that's why people use drugs because they want to escape. And sometimes it makes people feel normal. The ones that's who are right. really, the ones who are really have an unbalance, mm-hmm. the drugs can make that person who's really, really unbalanced normal. Right. But the ayahuasca and the iboga and the peyote and the mushrooms when used in integrity and facilitated by a shaman or a medicine man or woman who's in integrity will bring you to the root cause of the issue. Mm -hmm. That's where we want to go. We want to go to the root cause of the suppressed emotions, to the trauma. You have to go visit it. And it's okay because guess what? You are not alone. Mm -hmm. That's the big deception in the mind is that we get into these places of suffering and we think we're all alone. Mm -hmm. Every, every single person that I work with, our stories are relatable. Yeah. We're, they're relatable. If I told you all the things that I've gone through, I've been molested Mm -hmm. by a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. I've used drugs. I've been bullied. Mm -hmm. I've been manipulated. I've been controlled. I've been brainwashed. How, who, who out there has gone through that? Mm -hmm. So our stories are relatable. I'm, I was just looking for answers. And like John said, in the beginning of this talk, I'm the kind of person that goes a hundred percent all in, Mm -hmm. but I was very fortunate and I'm very grateful. And I feel blessed that I was able to spend time with somebody like grandmaster. But even Grandmaster was carrying around suppressed emotions. Yeah. And so I didn't get everything that I was looking for from Grandmaster. So I had to walk away from him. That's when I went into the desert and I did the 40-day fast. And then I went to the ayahuasca. And then I continued to go to these other plant medicines until I found the Shipibo in Peru, who are the masters of ayahuasca and Vipassana meditation. Buddha had it all figured out. Mm-hmm. Buddha had it all figured out because Buddha developed a meditation practice to liberate himself from his own suffering 
by objectively sitting in silence, removing all food from his body, just drinking water. So he was more sensitive to those emotions. Mm -hmm. And he sat there quietly and observed the sensations in his body, the feelings, the emotion, but he did it objectively. And what that means is you don't, you're not judging. And that's, this is a good response for the people that may be judging right now. Where does your judgment come from? Why does your judgment even exist? Have you even thought about that? Mm -hmm. And if you haven't, why not? Just the thought. Objectively observing these sensations with no judgment and no attachment or clinging to a blissful sensation, no judgment to a gross sensation. This is objectively finding the middle ground. Empty your mind and you observe equanimously. Equanimously means calm in the chaos, calm in the eye of the storm. So you have to sit quietly and patiently, calm in your mind, because your mind is what is suppressing emotion. Mm -hmm. It's the judgment that you create about yourself. Yeah. And when you remove that by the laws of nature, those suppressed emotions in your body they must rise and dissolve and leave the body. Now, why is that? Here's the reason why. If you observe nature, if I take a balloon and I bring it down to the bottom of the ocean, it rises. The magma in the center of the earth, when it heats up, it rises. Mm -hmm. When the sun shines on the water, it heats up and it rises. This is how nature interacts with each other. <clears throat> so when there's a vibration and a frequency that's in your body that is not the same vibration and frequency as air, water, fire, and earth, it must leave the area. Yeah. <laughs> that, that creates the unbalance. It's all about balance because you got light and you got dark, right? Mm -hmm. You got different energies of light and dark. We're on a planet of duality, north, south, east, and west, hot and cold, up and down, Right. Yeah. Light and dark, fear and love. You got to find a balance in there. That's that's living your life equanimously. Yeah. So you need to be aware who how am I, I'm, I'm being triggered right now. This person or whatever it is that they're saying or doing is making me feel uncomfortable. Why? It's not their fault. They're actually a blessing. You actually attracted this angel to come into your life to remind you of what you're still holding on to that's causing anxiety and depression in your life and slowing your natural flow of evolution. Mm -hmm. What we're looking for here is emotional content. This is what Bruce Lee talked about, emotional content. Well, and you talk about our friend, and I just want to put this out here. If, you, if you're out there, our friend, I can remember when we did take him to the desert, um, Danny, who did drink himself to death, right? Like I said, if you want to judge this conversation too quickly, don't. We'll start with the person who was at a point of no return, right? If you're at a point of no return, what else do you have? You know, because the most important thing about life is life. Mm -hmm. So if you're at a point of no return, maybe you should think about this. Maybe you should research it. Maybe you should try to figure it out. Because if you don't have life, you don't have anything else. And 
when I say a point of no return, the, the prime example I'm thinking about right now is when me and Eric took Danny to the desert. We were at Roy's house, Jack's house, mm-hmm. right? We were all trying to do this nutritional thing, whatever. There's a whole bottle of Gold's Lager, full brand new bottle of Gold's Lager. Our friend killed. You remember that? Yep. This is well, this is when you're at a point of no return. If you can kill a whole bottle of Gold's Lager and just turning it up, mm-hmm. there's a problem. Yes. So if you're at that stage in life, listen to this podcast. Listen to what we're saying. Mm-hmm. We're about we're about to take people on this journey with content and try to explain this story, Eric's story, a very, very simple way where everybody can understand it and try to introduce this and try to introduce this to society the right way because there's other human beings on the planet today who have the same sensitivities as you do that are doing the exact same thing to heal these issues. We partnered, uh, we partnered with Facebook as a media partner with Facebook, and that's going to create some bigger opportunities for us. Me and Eric have reconnected. We're going to start trying to tell this story through his life, and maybe we can change some lives. Yeah, that's what it's all about. You know? Yeah, this journey for me has been about the liberation of my soul. That's what it's all about for me. It's about the liberation of my soul. It's about being vulnerable, transparent developing a relationship with myself and this temple that holds the light and the truth and the love of all creation inside of all of us. I don't see any separation or division between all of us. We all have the ability to wake up the master within. There's a light in there that shines so bright. It's connected to the entire universe. And this is who all of us are. And so what I'm hoping to do and what my intention is, is that I can share my journey of what I personally went through to save my own life. And there might be some information that you receive from this that can assist you in some way to feel better about who you are, help you with your relationships or whatever it is. But there'll be a lot of information. There's going to be a lot of content. And I hope that you know people enjoy it. And go out there, Google Eric Nice. Right now, I mean, he's, he's, he's in the media all over the place. They just had the real world 30 year reunion. Mm-hmm. You know, go find his fan page, go find his Instagram page. All this, all these pages are going to start having this story played out the next several months. You know, check that out. Check out what's going on in the press now. We're trying to combine, you know, a couple of different worlds here from the social world to Hollywood to a idea and that's been around for years and years and years before us, you know, I don't even know when this, this, this shamanism, this started <laughs> with when beginning of time, beginning of time. So <laughs> it's a, it's a new wave. I think it's the future. And Eric, I appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate you coming to Charleston this weekend. Thank and, you. Uh, One last thing. Yeah. Follow us in Peru. Yes. Next, next week. The first yeah, week in April, <laughs> the first week in April, um, I'm going to Peru and I'll be down there with a group and we'll be there for two months and I'm going to be documenting everything that we experience with the Shipibo and other shamans in the Sacred Valley of Peru. 
Yeah, I mean, this is going to be footage that nobody has ever seen before. Yeah. So. Yeah, we're going to be doing live. Well, not live, but live to tape um, uh, documentation of ayahuasca ceremonies while they're happening. Yeah. yeah. And I think, like I said, <laughs> if this conversation has been relatable to anybody, hey, take a look. You may It may take you a place because I'm a. I'm a redneck from North Carolina. Eric's opened my world up tremendously, you know, because you don't know what you don't know until you know. <laughs> I like that. Right. <laughs> I mean, and I'm, I, I mean, I didn't even know what sushi was till I was 21. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I really did. You wow. know, so with me saying that, you never know who you are as a person to you you know, enrich yourself with more and more knowledge. And I was from a one lake town in Boston, North Carolina. And, you know, you'll end up where you're supposed to end up in life. If you play by the rules just a little bit, you know, mm. I think you'll end up where you're supposed to end up in life. Like I said, thanks, Eric, for coming on the show. And I'm John Edmonds Cosma, the CEO of Bang Productions. And this show is dedicated to Daniel Frisch, Danny. our brother who is up there and he's watching over us. And we love you, Dan, and your family. I love you, Dan. Miss you. Thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.